This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luke Olivier Dumablet. And I'm Yannick Magnan. And what's our topic for this week, Yannick? I am recommending handheld games for Luke Olivier. <laughs> oh my goodness. I did tease it in the last episode, but following our last episode about who we are as a gamer, we decided that it would be nice to have Yannick recommend recommend me games, especially NL games. Uh, as I mentioned offline to him, uh Somebody recently, I would say, that I would like to get more into uh, NL games. And I was like, hey, you know what? Maybe let's do this two-part episode, which ends with this. But before we start on to this, uh, we both have follow-up. And I will start. If you're a long-time uh, listener of the show, you do know that I have some... Uh, I was about to say pet peeves, but just proper interest in two-car infotainment system. Oh, hell yeah. And I was just made aware recently that that was released uh, in uh, late April, but I was made aware of it in the past few days. Um, so Porsche, of all <laughs> of the uh, car manufacturer, um, as our, they call it the Porsche Classic website. Let me just click on the link so I don't misname it. The Classic Shop. Uh, so they uh, do have... Uh, portion of their business that is to make sure that the their old cars still have part to this day to be fixed and replaced and you don't have to rely on like old broken cars to fix a non-broken car so part of their shop and they have announced um that they would be launching carplay equipped audio system compatible with their classic lineup of cars so right now in europe there are two versions so um Sorry for the uh, like radio jargon, but yeah, I'm sure you've heard the name, the one DIN, D-I-N, so the one slot, the typical like radio size that you've seen like uh, in the early 2000s uh, with the custom plate. So those are called one DIN, or the more like I would say like kind of iPad mini size uh, screen size display that are the tuned in size. So they are um, launching two types of like car infotainment system that are made to be look like they originally fit in the car. So of course the one din version has a tiny tiny screen for CarPlay. Like I'll have a link in the show notes to the article for Mac Rumors. But I read about that in a car podcast. I was like, oh wow, it's weird that I didn't uh, run into those. And yes, it seems that Mac Rumors did document it. So the idea is, let's say you have uh, the first few 911s or even some of the 80s Porsches uh, up until uh, 97, 98 uh, with the 993, 911, you could buy this radio out of uh, the uh, classic shop from Porsche and replace your old, like maybe 50-year-old radio and replace it with something modern while making sure that it kind of fits with the the old design of your car so it doesn't look out of place so um uh, it's a good retro mod update to your car of course uh, i do think that the uh two din version would be more important for late 90s early 2000s even maybe up until the 2010s of course the um the two din version is more for the uh I think it's from 99 to 2005, 9-11 and the Bookstore Cayman of those uh, moments. So I do hope that, of course, if you have a Porsche, you have a lot of money. And uh, of course, there's a, a big following of Porsche old cars and classic cars. So uh, as you might expect, those are quite expensive. 
But I do hope that this will become a trend, whether it is car manufacturers themselves providing those parts or the third-party radio manufacturers that kind of, I would say, rebrand themselves, but kind of like pivot to a smaller niche, but I would say a profitable niche that is making sure that you have like third-party radio system that looks like they were made for this car, even if they were not made by the car manufacturer. Uh, one last note about this note, uh, this news. Uh, sadly, if you're listening to me and you're like, oh, I want to buy it, uh, it seems that only the one DIN version right now is available from the same uh, classic shop from Porsche USA. Uh, all of those news are coming from Europe. So I guess our European friends are luckier than we are in North America. It's really funny because you look at this and um, you think, wow, it's really like a weird anachronism thing where like you've got CarPlay on these like 60s cars or whatever. And it just reminds me of when John from Digital Foundry uh, plays like modern PC games with the highest end graphics card on like a late 2000 CRT. And he's like, this is the greatest experience you'll ever have with video games. And I'm like, this is the car equivalent of that. It's like, now I've got CarPlay on my old ass car. It's delightfully retro. And in theory, um, this kind of brings me to, not another topic, but I will try to make it short, but uh, to the fact that I would say everything we will see from like late 90s to 2010s, even 2014, 2015, as car infotainment system has aged quite poorly. Uh, Of course, it's even more fascinating and funny if you go into like old luxury cars from like 60s 70s where they have those like green crts like they good they look archaic um, <laughs> but like you can shrug it off but i do feel that they're like 95 to 2015 era of car infotainment system are aging like after five years after they got released they were like they seem like your old like calculator for like twenty years ago. Yeah. Uh, and providing tools and providing parts to modernize them while keeping your car interior, and that's that's what uh, rings some bells to me. Is I never w- was really into the uh, like the radio modifying scene, and the main reason I always disliked it is not because those new radio would give you more functionality. I think that's the big plus, but the big minuses is they usually doesn't like the they, they break the car design like the designers thinking yeah. into your car and interior so that's great uh before i forget uh, those radios are not cheap no there are two thirteen fifty euros so a thousand three hundred and fifty euros for the one den version and fifteen twenty euros for the two den version so it's like uh what two thousand to two thousand five hundred canadian dollars maybe even more i'm not sure exact exactly about the i ratio. don't keep up with the euro yeah and even on the u.s website at to this day there's no price it just says oh put it in wish list and we'll notify you when it's out for the one din version so i'm keeping an eye on this not because i have a portrait and i want to do that but that i'm eager to see what other people will do in that scene. If you're interested in hearing more, there is discussion of it in the latest episode of ATP in the post-show. Ooh. And that was it for my follow-up. I think you have some too before we go to the main topic. Yeah, very briefly. uh, On the last episode, uh, we briefly alluded during follow-up that I have a new game out. It's called Machine Learning. You can go find it on itch.io. And we sort of mentioned in passing that I would probably do an episode on that game jam at some point and 
then I looked at what I would have to say on an episode and I had like 25 minutes worth of stuff. So I'm not going to waste an episode doing that. So I made a YouTube video uh, that you can find in the show notes and you can go watch that instead and get about 22 minutes of my commentary on the whole experience of making the game. And by the time you're listening to this, uh, Machine Learning 1.0.2 should be out, which fixes some issues with running on Catalina because of of course there are fucking bugs. And (laughs) uh, there's one of the endings that is still glitched. So uh, there's going to be a fix for that as well. Uh, So hopefully by the time you're listening to this, it will have been posted and you can go get it. Probably not notarized though, because fuck you, Apple. That's why. I would like to know that I have notarized uh, a Mac app this week and not true, not true. Uh, Xcode before you ding me for that, but I did build a fast lane lane to do so, and it was uh not as seamless as I thought, but in the end was quite uh quite nice to do. I mean, I would just like right now to be able to access the fucking certificates page on <laughs> iTunes Connect because that is what I'm trying to do, uh, yeah, not that's... iTunes Connect developer site. Yeah, that's uh, that's a hard uh, problem to to solve first. Yes, and that's it. Good. So let's move into your topic. My topic. It's kind of your topic as well. But what... I know. I know. It's like last week. It was Stole your topic, but my, my topic. Episode, damn it. I know. Uh, I know. So I have an opening statement, uh, sort of carrying through uh, the narrative from the past episode, which is uh, you came to me and you were like, oh, I have this Vita. I have this 3DS. I kind of want to use them more. Uh, I'm going to do this episode. We're going to talk about my gaming tastes and then you're going to run off with that and you're going to try to come up with some games that I want to do. And my direct opinion following that episode was, wow, your gaming tastes really aren't well suited for handhelds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that explains a lot of things with my NL purchases these days. Yeah, so I'm going to go through it very quickly uh, in case you haven't heard the last episode, but if you haven't heard it, you should probably go listen to that episode because it's also quite interesting. Um, So you like narrative-driven action-adventure games that revolve around set pieces. Well, those weren't even really possible on handhelds until the Vita era. Unfortunately, the Vita kind of had the plug pulled out of it before any of those ever came out, Uh, so that did not happen. Uh, Another thing that is quite frequent on handhelds is... um, those kinds of games that you enjoy, they are primarily made by Western developers, and Western developers, for the most part, ignore handhelds. Uh, if they make anything for handhelds at all, it'll be the B team or the C team. It's never the same team who makes the big console stuff, and like often the big Western engines are not well-tuned for handhelds either, so th- there's even less hope of those ever coming out on handhelds than if Japanese developers were making them. And Japanese developers, they don't make those kinds of games. They make the games I like. Uh, so That's true. And it's funny you mention that because uh, while preparing my backlog, I went through a lot of wiki pages of some of the games I played. Uh, and I would say it's a good game, but I think a game I enjoyed playing on the video was the Uncharted one, which was a typical uh, launch title type of game yeah. that has all the gimmicks of the Vita. Yeah. And while... Like just researching, like just, just, I guess, Wikipedia. I don't know. Like just losing time on Wikipedia while reading this page. I figured out that it was not even Naughty Dog that did it. Like some, I forgot the name and I should look into it, uh, for the purpose of this show. But it was like another team. Like I think if I recall correctly, Naughty Dog, Naughty Dog, excuse me, did consult and was part of the development, uh, the, 
development of story, development of like kind of telling this other team how to kind of more or less build an Uncharted game, but they were not the main developers on that. Yeah, they gave him the design Bible and they were like, read this and <laughs> call us when it's done. And that's pretty yeah, much what it was. More or less. Uh, and in the end, though, it was a, a Sony Entertainment Studio. It was a SCE Ben Studio. But again, that was them developing the game and not not dog as we were used with the main games. Yep, and that's generally how things turn out for most Western games on handhelds, which is unfortunate. Um, then you sort of mentioned that you like Gran Turismo games, which is great because I also love Gran Turismo games. The problem is there was one handheld Gran Turismo and it was not great, and it lacks a lot of the elements that we love from a Gran Turismo game. Uh, to be fair, the Everything about the driving engine in the handheld Gran Turismo is identical to Gran Turismo 4. It's just that the simulation mode is non-existent, and that is the main thing we like about Gran Turismo. Right, and that's on the PSP, if I recall. Yes, right. and it's not available for download on Vita. No, so, so I so, had to get the PSP for that one. Yes, uh, and I have, don't worry, I have taken that into consideration. I have not put any PSP games on my list, mostly because oh. I can't look things up on the US Vita store right now because the only Vita I have that still works is my Japanese one. Uh, so And so little of the PSP catalog is actually playable on North American Vita compared to the Japanese store that I have no idea what is even playable anymore, so I just didn't take the okay. chance. Okay, so you're okay, because I was not, if you add titles that we are on track and boot up the Vita and then we can look live. But but for for the most part, there wasn't really anything that fit into your your taste anyway so it's like not a huge deal yeah i saw that in the recent weeks when i was just like just randomly going on psn vita and i'm like ah ps uh, ps store excuse me and just be like oh, i'll just go like navigate and browse and i'm like ah, oh, yeah i know nothing none of the games rings a bell whatsoever yeah uh and then we had battle royale games well those didn't exist for most of these handhelds lives <laughs> so like that's not gonna happen uh, so we're kind of left with two things that you mentioned during the episode. Uh, adventure visual novel-ish type games like the Ace Attorney series mm -hmm. and survival horror games kind of like Resident Evil, which you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, although you did sort of specify 4, 5, 6 more so than the first trilogy. Right. And there's one note here, and I know I think I've been doing good in the past episode, but uh, overall you try to make sure that we don't have a recency bias. Um, when we talk about video games to make sure that we kind of have a broader, bigger picture on what the topic we decided. And I decided to completely ignore Animal Crossing, but for sure, Animal Crossing, like last time I played it was on the DS and I loved it. Mm. But again, I'm sure, and I'm starting, to, the reason why I'm bringing it up is I'm starting to see that like I've plateaued in it. I'm not done with the storyline. But I'm starting to get like, uh, it's like, it's becoming a, like a side job. And I did recall that I had a moment where like my game time was like skyrocketing and then it started to plateau and be like, oh man, this is becoming a job and I'll slowly, slowly, surely drop it. So we'll see what's going to happen with uh, Animal Crossing New Horizon. But just something to mention about games like Animal Crossing. It was more like, life sim farm sim type of games usually i tend to like just play a lot of them at the beginning and then get bored of it and not do the like play maybe like 30 minutes per day uh to make sure that i keep playing it a lot for a long time 
it's funny because my friend Emily streams four days a week and I've been watching her stream a lot recently because I have nothing else to do at home. And <laughs> uh, like she has plateaued off this week as well and has started streaming not Animal Crossing for the first time in like a month. So I think pretty much everyone is around that phase right now with Animal Crossing. Um, but yeah. And also, if you don't like long life sims, you should play mine. <laughs> That's <laughs> a fair point. 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. <laughs> Now that I'm done plugging my shit. No, but the reason I didn't play is because I was eating this uh, bug that you're about to fix in Catalina. No, what's okay. I'll try that. <laughs> so I've split this episode into like three parts. First, I'm going to talk about like one-off games uh, that are not really part of a greater series. Then I'm going to talk about series I recommend. And then I'm going to do this wildcard pick, which is a game that... Mm. maybe doesn't really fit into what you're interested in playing but it's sort of on the borderline so if you sort of want to expand into something you could try that out um but we're going to start with the distinct games um oh and at the end i also do want to talk about a sort of pattern that emerges from all of these games and i'll i'll try to figure out you You'll see if you'll figure it out before we get there. It'll be very funny. Okay, perfect. So the first game on my list is Flowers, Sun, and Rain for the DS. It is a port of a PS2 adventure game by Grasshopper Manufacturer. Um, the full Japanese name actually translates to Flower, Sun, and Rain, Murder, and Mystery in Paradise, which tells you a lot of what you need to know about this game. It is kind Ooh. of a murder mystery game that takes place on an island in Micronesia. And you play a character called Sumio Mondo, who needs to defuse a bomb that's planted on a plane that is on the island, but he gets distracted and it blows up. To be honest, if that's your job, you only had one job and you get distracted and the plane blows up, you're, you kind of shit at your job. But I guess you have to roll with it to kind of <laughs> believe this game. Uh, and uh, following the explosion, uh, apparently you get sent into a time loop where you relive the events leading up to the explosion, and you have to solve puzzles to attempt to get out of the time loop. Uh, and this is a Suda51 game. Uh, this was before he was called Suda51. Suda51, or also known as Goichi Suda, is a very popular... Uh, game producer in Japan. He's like one of these auteur people, kind of like Hideo Kojima or whatever, where like when you see a Suda51 game, you know it's a Suda51 game because generally it has a certain art style and direction. This is like before he had sort of developed his style and it's kind of just a weird game. <laughs> um, but yeah, th that's kind of an interesting point about this game that I just wanted to bring out is it's like you can see the development of a guy who became a big figure in the gaming industry. But at, at that point, he was kind of making a game that not very many people played. So that's game number one. Sounds, that sounds promising for the first one, which with your minimal description sounds something like the, 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 the plot it kind of sounds a bit like a mix of Professor Layton and Hotel Dusk. That's interesting. I, I should also mention I have no idea what the fuck these games cost. Uh, I didn't look them up, so I'm going to go check <laughs> that right now. Okay, so <laughs> now we're at this point where Yannick spends oh, Luko's money. <laughs> oh, I hope you have $130 to spend oh. on a DS game in box. Oh. 
or if okay. you want it out of box it's 80 dollars. yeah maybe i should have looked the prices up <laughs> Ooh, that is even worse than mile miles edgeworth's the uh the progress the prosecutor game from phoenix right that i wanted to buy and it was like what I, the best price I've seen was like 60 Canadian or maybe, maybe it could have been 60 US on uh, eBay. So, wow. Okay. I'm going to keep my phone nearby so I can look up these prices <laughs> and cry as I tell you to buy all of the hardest to buy games on the DS. Thank you, Yannick. Okay. Uh, oh, whoa, 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 wait. You said DS. Hopefully there's some on Vita too. Yeah, kind of. Oh, okay. <laughs> Am I spoiling the the rest of the episode now? Maybe a little bit, but we'll see. <laughs> um, so are you ready to move on to the next game? Or yes. Did you have it? Okay. Uh, the next game is Moon. This is a game that was released on both DS and 3DS. It is a Renegade Kid game. A Renegade Kid were the developers of Dementium the Ward, which was a critically acclaimed survival horror game on the DS. Uh, and it is a 60 FPS exploratory first person shooter with occasional puzzle sections. Um, I remember hearing a lot about that game back when it came out. Uh, to me, it always sounded a bit like Metroid Prime, but if you took the gameplay of Metroid Prime and gave it more of a cinematic story-driven focus, uh, which is something that I imagine you would enjoy. And it was also remade on the 3DS, like I mentioned, as an episodic game, which is kind of weird. Uh, so I think you can buy like the first... Like, this is one of the games that you won't get screwed by an expensive price because it's an eShop game. Uh, I think you can buy the first two chapters for $9, and then it's, like, I think $5 a chapter afterwards, and there are, like, five chapters or something. So it's, like, not unreasonable. Um, and, yeah, overall, like, maybe $30 or something like that. Yeah, it's not, like, ridiculous or anything like that. And it's generally been quite well-reviewed, uh, which is interesting. So this is just there because, like, I know you didn't really mention it on the show, but, like, you can deal with, like, first-person shooters in single-player context if it's more or less, like, narrative-driven. So I was like, eh, he'll probably like this, so I <laughs> threw it in there. I have something I forgot to mention. Uh, I know for the purpose of the show, it's good that I didn't get the list before, but do you have, uh, do you have links, Andy, for me to just maybe look at some screenshots and maybe document a bit or, like, talk a bit about what I see and what I think about the game? Uh, no. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> uh, maybe just make sure to repeat the name and I'll maybe do that more uh, carefully while you introduce the games. Yeah, this one is called Moon. But, yeah. Okay, so Moon, Nintendo, DS, eShop. No, oh, yeah, the, the 3DS version is Moon Chronicles, but, yeah. Okay, I guess I'll just... Otherwise, you're going to get a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I'm getting just Pokemon Moon. So Chronicles yeah. with the plural or not? Oh, yes. Moon Chronicles yes, episode. Okay. Yes. Found it. Found it. Oh, no. That's on a fandom page. What the F did I click on? Okay. That makes for amazing, yes. amazing uh, time. Okay. Uh, that's okay. I have some images uh, right now. And now I kind of see what you mean by uh, Metroid Prime-like. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, kind of like post-acapolitic act. Apocalyptic, my goodness, that's hard to pronounce tonight. Apocalyptics, uh, kind of like weird. Hmm. Okay. I don't think I would describe it like that. It's just it takes place like on the moon. I don't know if it's, ah, <laughs> it's a surprise okay. to anything, but it's in space, so it looks like a sci-fi setting. And I don't think it's necessarily post-apocalyptic, but yeah, you're like exploring a moon base or something. 
Yeah, I see that now. When I found the appropriate page, and yes, you're kind of like, like I've seen a bunch of astronauts walking around on the moon, so I'm like, mm, it's hmm. probably on the moon, especially okay. since the name is Moon. You know. Yeah, and I see there are four episodes. Uh, season. Oh yeah, and oh, it's super cheap. Yeah, uh, it's like first episode for free, and then the three remaining episodes are for nine dollars or four dollars and fifty each. Yeah, so there you go. It, Quite cheap. Okay, cheap wow. game and. It it's been reviewed quite well, so I imagine it, it. I should also note, like, let me make sure I'm not saying bullshit here. Yeah, for all of these games, I haven't played any of them, so these are all recommendations that I am making on what I have heard about these games and not what I have played from of these games. Uh, oh, okay, that's interesting. Because, like, in most cases, I would not have played the, these games, except hmm. for like a few of them that seem vaguely interesting to me but the rest of them are just kind of outside of what i would usually play which you would know if you listen to the last episode that's <laughs> fair no that's fair that, that, that is fair I, I i'm a bit surprised but I, I i agree with you that that shouldn't be here yeah um next game on the list is half there as a joke half there as homework uh resident evil deadly silence this is a remake well not a remake a port of the original resident evil one for playstation on the original ds uh and there are minor touchscreen mechanics added to puzzles and knife combat but otherwise it is completely unchanged from the playstation original and i'm only mentioning this because i mentioned as a joke that we should do an episode where we play the original resident evil last episode and i'm bringing it back for a second time Hmm. Yeah, but that wouldn't be the best way to do an episode about it, though. No, but I, it's there in case you want it. Like there are a bunch of handheld Resident Evil games. There's, uh, Resident Evil Revelations. I think it's called on DS on 3DS, and then there's Revelations Two on Vita, which are kind of weird Resident Evil spinoff games that some people really like and some people really hate. Uh, they are more in the Resident Evil Four Five Six style that you seem to enjoy. So maybe mm. check those out. But, yeah, it, it seems more polarizing than the numbered entries, which is why I didn't, strictly speaking, put it on my list. But, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I've seen also on, like, main consoles when they, uh, those spin-offs, they, they seem it or miss. So it's hard for me to judge whether, like, because you will see, like, five reviews, uh, let's say six reviews, and three of them will be like, oh, it's great. It's as great as, like, the numbered uh, games. And the other one will be like, nah, not worth it. They just take off on the like the number uh, issues. I'm like, okay, sure. So, I guess I might have to uh, take a plunge on one of them at some yeah. point. Okay, next game on the list is Time Hollow, also for DS. It is a graphic adventure game from Junko Kawano. Uh, she was involved at various stages of development with the Suikoden series at Konami, and this is a Konami game as well. Um, you play a character called Ethan Kairos, and his parents vanish on his 17th birthday, but as you talk to other people around the city, you sort of realize that everyone else acts like they disappeared 12 years earlier. So something weird has happened with time. And it's around that time that you find a pen that allows you to open portals to the past and figure out, try to figure out what's going on uh, with this like weird time compression stuff that's going on. Um, so again, this is probably one of the games that I imagine is going for a billion dollars on eBay. Let's go check. Wow, do, 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 do. and I'm keeping an eye on how long to beat. That takes six hours and a half. Yeah, most of these games... Oh my god, okay, yeah, this is an expensive <laughs> DS game. Oh my goodness, how much is it? But it's Canadian seller, $80. Uh, 
Oof. But free shipping within <laughs> Canada. <laughs> Thank you, Yannick. Thank you, Yannick. There's another copy for $40 here, so I don't know. Like, okay, Look around some... eBay. The Japanese version is $13, so... Oh, that's good for me, huh? Yeah. I guess, you know what I should do is maybe every time I play it, if I decide to buy it in Japanese, we should just FaceTime and then you oh let, yeah because i have nothing better to do than facetime uh, you said you had nothing better to do than watching some people uh, some of your friends playing animal crossing it, so it's true wow you could <laughs> start your twitch career by streaming japanese games you can't read on twitch oh wow that ah uh, that that would be hilarious yeah but uh oh my goodness that would be art too video capture ds or 3ds content oh yeah it's it's a shit show but yeah <laughs> i guess it will just there's be a like whole a... episode of my life in gaming about how complicated it's become to uh, to uh video capture ds and 3ds because there was a recent law passed in japan where like console modding is effectively now illegal so all of the people who are oh, making no. kits are out of business now and you basically can't stream 3ds or ds anymore unless you had your device modded ages ago and if the software stops working too bad uh, yeah uh, but to go to timely all uh i am looking at some screenshot and the description you're mentioning to me like i do get not by the gameplay but by the visual novel novelness like this reminds me of the first few um Excuse me, the first few Phoenix Wright games and the fact that it is about like 10 hours to complete fully, uh, that is a, that's a strong contender, my friend. Even if it's uh, $90, I'm not saying I'm buying it, but... Uh, I'm going to slip this in here just because like it's really obvious what I should be saying, except whatever. There are flashcards you can buy for the Nintendo DS that are very cheap. Uh, there are even some on Amazon that masquerade as fake games sometimes. Like, you can find flashcards to load ROMs onto your DS and play them that way, and nobody will judge you if you don't want to spend $80 on a game. Right, which, which I'll be honest, if we realize that all the games you suggest is that, we might go that route. Wink, wink. We're yeah. not going that route. Wink, wink. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Like, if some of them are worth, like, maybe, like, like, I wouldn't mind if the game is nice, even if it's old, to spend, like, 20 to $40. Uh, but again, on the $40 range in Canadian dollars, I would be like, oh, this is a classic that I should have bought when it's new, so I don't mind paying new prices even if it's used. Let's put it this way. Yeah, the issue with a lot of these games is a lot of these games had very small print runs initially, and they didn't sell their entire print run, so now they're extremely rare. And that's sort of the issue with like Time Hollow is like this, Flower, Sun, and Rain is like this. It was like either that or they were printed at the very end of the DS's life, and then people were already mostly playing phone games or th had switched to 3DS or whatever. And that makes it kind of tricky, which is why, like, I ultimately I made this list for games that you would want to play, and if the only way you're going to realistically play them is to pirate them, like, I'm not going to blame you. Uh, yeah, because... Yeah. And it's funny, by the way, uh, I am using DuckDuckGo, and if I type Flower, Sun, and Rain, because that was the only one I had in open, first result is Flower, Sun, and Rain. The second is space ds the third one is space rom yeah but so... that's that's the case for most games anyway <laughs> yeah yeah so that's funny okay uh the last distinct game that i'm going to mention outside of a greater series is probably the one you're going to enjoy the most Ooh. okay and there's a very specific reason for this so this game is called ghost trick phantom detective it was released on ds it was also released on ios um 
And the reason I think you'll dig this is because development, writing, and direction was led by Shu Takumi, which is the writer of the Ace Attorney series. Hmm. So repeat the name, please. Ghost Trick? Ghost Trick. Ah. Phantom Detective. Ah. It's an adventure game where you control a spirit called Sissel, and he can use his powers to go back four minutes before a person died to attempt to save their life by solving various puzzles in the room they're in. Wow. Yeah. And this game was extremely well-reviewed. A lot of people say this game has the best animation work in the entire uh, Nintendo DS library. And it's frequently held up as a game that makes incredibly good use of the DS hardware capabilities. Like, of all of the games I've recommended in here, it's probably, well, maybe Moon is also in here, as, like, games I would actually play myself. Ghost Trick is one of these games that is... Like nowadays, seen as a classic of the DS, but that actually very few people played. Hmm. I see. And if the DS version is for some reason super expensive, which I don't know, I haven't uh, looked it up yet. Mm, I kind of like DuckDuckGo was so, the first result I seen DuckDuckGo when I it says uh, 143 Canadian dollars, but there's a there's a different one with a. Oh, it's a PAL version. Okay, never mind. Yeah, if you're looking at loose carts right now on eBay, they're between 50 and 60 Canadian dollars. Um, but there is an iOS version, and it was last updated within the last two years uh, for the iPhone 10, and it okay. is apparently still working. So there is an iOS version. Don't freak out. Ooh, ooh, that um, could it's be just a... it won't help you use your DS, but whatever. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a better that... alternative. So th that is something I didn't mention before the episode, but I was thinking about that in the past few days. Is that I wonder how many iOS games you would include in that. Even if I said NL gaming and uh, like all the all was I would have been a temptation. It seems to see uh, not so much, but it could be a, a solution to. Uh, allow me to play some games uh, even if they're not really played on the same hardware well the interesting thing is a couple more of these games a little further on have had ios versions in the past and then they were never updated so they kind of disappeared off the app store which is a worry i have about a lot of these games that still have ios versions is if you're trying to really preserve these games like i said uh, a couple episodes ago when we were talking about windows and deprecating apis and all that stuff like you shouldn't play games on computing platforms if you want to preserve them because they are a moving target. Whereas right. the DS will never change. And in fact, like I, my 3DS battery life is absolutely terrible right now. It's like I'm lucky if I get 30 minutes on a single charge, Oof. which is why I'm looking forward for Nintendo's um, support uh, centers to reopen so I can order a new battery for my new 3DS. Uh, oh, that's but, true. Because at this point right now, because of the current situation... They're just closed. They're, but yeah, but I forgot that they won't don't have any parts. Like it's not only like the repair center that's closed, but their e the e-commerce store won't ship you parts. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. So like for now, I'm forgetting completely that my 3ds exists because like it's there's no point. I have to be on it on a charger, and like my charger cable is very very short. So I'm not playing 3ds right now. But I charged back my uh, DS Lite, which is why I'm thinking a lot about the classic DS these days. And that thing will last forever, even in 2020. It's been like, uh, I bought it in 2006, and it's still trucking along. It gets super long battery life. Uh, it's a fantastic system. There's nothing else I can say about it, and it's it's real good. A quick comment about uh, Ghost Trick. Yeah. 
Phantom Detective. Uh, it is thirteen ninety nine on the App Store, and of course, it has a good ratings, but a lot of the bad reviews are about the game being crashy or like mm. just frozen. But there's like one, two, yeah, there's a, like five written reviews, but there's like sixty one like reviews, like star reviews. So yeah, interesting. But yeah, uh, to go back to your note about uh, games on computing platform, I would even say that Capcom for a while was good at releasing a lot of their old NL games on iOS, but was also really bad at making them up to date. Yeah, keeping them which up is to date. always a risk. And it, it depends on the developer all the time. So like Square will sometimes decide to like value certain games very, very heavily and update them very frequently when new OS versions come out. And then other ones are left to languish in the bottom of the app store forever. And it's like, hmm, kind of sucks. Or like when the whole iPad came out and they were making different HD versions. Oh, yes. The HD versions eventually fell off the app store and they made a new universal version. And if you were stuck with the iPad version, like maybe you updated your OS and your saves wouldn't work anymore. And you were like, well, I guess I forget about these games now. And it's like, ah, oh. <laughs> kind of shitty. So it's, it's so hit or miss that I tend not to take chances on iOS games if I can avoid it. Good. And I look at some of the screenshots and it looks quite good for a DS game. Uh, there's even a GIF of the animation, uh, one of the animation, because they, they say that uh, they receive significant praise about their buttery smooth animation. And the example they gave uh, as a GIF in Wiki- on Wikipedia is quite nice. Yeah, I will also put a video by Matthew Matosis in the uh, show notes. Matthew Matosis does a bunch of really good long reviews of video games and he did a sort of you should probably play ghost trick video uh which is rare for him usually he'll just like make a 20 minute video that or sometimes it's even two hours or whatever that just like spoils the entire game but is effectively like here's all the genius stuff this game did and for this he's like not enough of you have played this game for me to spoil it so please go fucking play this game and here's why you should go play it uh so i'll go put that in there if it can get people excited to go out and play it and i will probably eventually play this game uh, because I have heard so many good things about it. It's just, it's not that high on my priority list right now. Okay, now we're moving into series. Um, and and I actually have quite a few of these. And this is where we also start introducing some Vita stuff. So you might Ooh. get a little bit excited in a bit. Oh, by the way, by the way, I don't mind playing games on my 3DS. Uh, my, Yoshi PD, uh, my Yoshi 3DS also needs some love, but... Not as much love as uh, my uh, Vita because my 3DS, even if I didn't use it too much myself, Tony did take great advantage of it compared to the Vita. So It's true. Pokemon will do that. Oh, yes. Pokemon <laughs> did that do it for sure. Okay. So the first series I want to talk about is one that a lot of us have forgotten, but Japan has not forgotten. And that is the Touch Detective series. Uh, it is a point-and-click mystery adventure series by B-Works. Um, this came out around the same time as Phoenix Wright, and most of us were too busy playing Phoenix Wright to pay any attention to it, but it still exists. Uh, there were two games in the series, Touch a, De- Touch a Detective in 2006 and Touch a Detective 2.5 in 2007. Uh, and this series actually became huge in Japan for a reason completely unrelated to the rest of the game uh there is a mushroom character in the game that looks like a dick 
his name is Nameko, and he became hugely popular in Japan. <laughs> and his spin-off series became bigger than Touch a Detective, and now he's all everywhere. You can get like Nameko plushies all over the place, and it never stops being awkward with that character. Um, but there you go. So that that's my fun fact about the Touch Detective series. Oh, published by Atlas in the U.S. Uh, yeah. Hmm. The original uh, Touch Detective had an iOS port briefly. I remember seeing it on the App Store for a couple of years, but this was back in 2011, and I think it fell off the back of the App Store at some point because it's uh, not up there anymore. Okay, yeah, I see that, that they're mentioning that. Let me go see how much it costs on eBay, my favorite activity. <laughs> According to the Wikipedia page, it did sell a lot on the, Wiki- on the App Store when it got released. Oh, maybe. Oh, there's a, there's a third version? Oh, Japanese only. Okay. Japan only. Hmm. Yeah, these are much more reasonable. They're in like the twenty dollar range instead huh. of like for each of them. Uh, two and a half is sixteen dollars here. So, well, this is without the box, but I don't know if you care about that. Then uh, we'll, we'll see. I, for the DS, I did add, uh, did do care with the Vita. Most of my box got the water accident, so oh. I just ended up throwing them out. And I have uh, like uh, when I bought my Vita set, it came with the the accessory PS Vita from Sony set, or it was maybe a third party, and I have uh, like a, a cartridge box here that I use. Uh, I think it is Sony. Yeah, it says PS Vita on it, so. Yeah, I'm scrolling through these, and these are mostly under $30, so it's Not reasonable bad. for this the rest of this episode. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, the next one is probably quite affordably priced because it sold a lot, and that is Professor Layton Trilogy, which we kind of Ooh, alluded true. to earlier. There are actually two trilogies, um, but I'm recommending the original here. So this is Professor Layton and the Curious Village, Professor Layton and the Diabolical Box, and Professor Layton and the Unwired Future. These were released in 2008, 2009, 2010. And then uh, 2010 to, uh, no, 2011 to 2014, they released the prequel trilogy, which was half on DS, half on 3DS. And then... Uh, the Professor Layton series kind of became mobile games. Uh, so now those are all out on uh, iOS. Uh, there's a Layton Brothers game. And there's another one, which I don't remember the name of the new female uh, Professor Layton character, but she's cute. So, Oh, uh, here is it. Could it be Catriel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there, uh, there's... I'm on the Wikipedia page and it says Layton's Mystery Journey, Catriel and the Millionaire's Conspiracy. Yeah, because her name isn't in the first half of the name of the game, I'm like, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's in the subtitle. I can't remember that. <laughs> oh, come on. Um, but yeah, like if you liked the puzzles in uh, Professor Layton versus Phoenix Ray or whatever it's called, um, like it seems like a natural next step is to actually go into the trilogy itself. You're making a good point. Uh, I'm not surprised that Professor Layton is on your list because I do recall when I played Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright, I was, I was reminded of Professor Layton and being like, I always planned to play some of those games and never did. So when I played the combo of it and Phoenix, I was like, yeah, maybe it's time for me to go back and again, never did. So it's good that you bring them up. Like for for me, it. It's kind of a turnoff because like those parts were often the parts where I got stuck the most because I suck at puzzles. Um, but at the same time, like 
if you like puzzles, they're very well executed. It's just I suck at them, so I, I don't, don't really want to get into them. I also suck at them, so hopefully there is kind of a. I think what was nice with Professor uh, with the Professor Layton versus Phoenix right is there's the storyline. I do feel that the Professor Layton do have strong storyline in between yeah. of the other puzzles, which is kind of the funny part of those games. It's like storylines are like do a puzzle for the story to go through that doesn't make sense to other storyline but that's the fun part and the... it's video games <laughs> yes so okay no for sure uh do you have a specific recommendation in those games no i okay. don't know anything about them <laughs> perfect perfect okay the, the next isn't a series proper it's just they're all made by the same developer so i've sort of lumped them together uh because they share a lot of common elements and these are the sing adventure games for the ds sing is spelled c-i-n-g um and these are four adventure games that were released for the original ds uh sing is kind of known as a leader in the genre of adventure games on the ds they released four games between 2005 and 2010 and often they used uh ds unique features in clever ways so these are trace memory also known as another code to memories in europe hotel desk room 215 which you mentioned earlier which i played uh, oh yeah oh i didn't know you played it i i do own it and played it oh and i re- i didn't play another code to memories or trace memories but i recall now that i see the artwork even if it's the european one it was in stores everywhere it was in stores everywhere and i really wanted it yeah and it has i mean a lot of people remember this game I've, i remember some of my friends telling me like this game was great and all that stuff so definitely check it out it also has a sequel on the wii but like i don't well i guess you have like almost all the nintendo consoles and so i no. guess you can probably play it some way <laughs> funny story we you tony got rid of his wii u sold it to a friend recently wanted to play some wii u games and she was not using it so it's back at home so yeah so you can just boot it in wii mode if you want to play that i, I don't know if it came out in north america though uh according to what i see here it says japanese japan and eu so yeah that sounds right yeah um, so i guess i forgot is Wii. no it's not region free yes i was looking for the word it's not region free so i could maybe try to find well it, it, well if you had an actual wii it's super easy to mod it to be region free but like if you have a wii u i have no idea what the modding oh, scene is like there okay, okay so it's not region free bump, bump. so after hotel desk they made again interactive crime novel which is a game where you play an fbi agent and try to solve crimes and then they released a sequel to Hotel Desk, which unfortunately, due to the bankruptcy of the company, never came out in North America, but it came out in Europe and Japan. It's called Last Window, The Secret of Cape West. Huh. And since DS is region free, you can just buy it from Europe and play it. Although, once again, I have no idea what the price is like. <laughs> <laughs> Considering that it's the last game they made before bankruptcy, it probably didn't have a huge sprint run. So, right. uh, But... It, I don't know. Check check eBay. So yeah, like all of these games have great reputations and they seem like the kind of thing you would be into. Yeah, I do recall that Hotel Dusk was a bit weird. Uh, And what I mean by that is uh, I could read through the synopsis again to get reminded of it, but that it kind of... I recall that it had a vibe of a bit of kind of supernatural effect happening. Maybe I'm sorry in advance if I'm spoiling something, but the while it was interesting, I remember to finish the game and be like, "Huh, not sure if I enjoyed it or not." 
That's what, and wow. that's why I mean by weird. It's like high praise. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry to say that it's a long time since I last played, but I do recall, and now I have to add it to my. Did I add it to my backlog already? Because if it's on my, backlog, I don't think so. Uh, okay, slowly but surely scrolling. Uh, because if it is, I would say that you didn't look at it. Oh no, it's not. Okay, so I have to add it. But I do have a copy of it, and it's a box okay. and everything. So yes. There you go. Um, but yeah, check out the other games by that developer if for some reason uh, it, anything looks good. Anyway, uh, next up we bring up the first Vita games in the lineup. Get hype. Um, <laughs> th- this is the Zero Escape trilogy. So before I say anything, have you actually heard of this trilogy at all? Okay. Uh, Zero Escape, I'll just look at it if you don't mind. Uh, because I might look at the screen. Well, I can tell you the names of the games in the series. Don't look them up because i don't want you to find out everything okay. right away by name no by name no. okay well th- the names of the games are not directly related to that so that's why i'm gonna name them right now so these are nine hours nine persons nine doors on the ds well which was originally released on ds virtue's last reward which was released on vita and 3ds and zero time dilemma which was released on 3ds and vita hmm so i'm not right now i'm looking at the the cover box of nine hours nine person nine doors. it was also called 999 to some people yeah 999 huh uh no but i do like the art on the, the box sounds good to say but okay well so here's the pitch for it it's a trilogy of puzzle adventure visual novels that were released between 2009 and 2016 by spike chunsoft and the easiest way to summarize it is if you took the Saw movies and you gave them an Ace Attorney style game treatment, you would get this series. Huh. Interesting. The thing is, I have no idea what your movie taste is like because we, I don't really watch movies, so we never really talk about them. Right. Um, but yeah. That, I'm not the big, biggest fan of horror movies, but... Uh, yeah. Hmm. Okay, no, that's uh. But it's like, are you vaguely familiar with the plot of Saw? I don't think I am even. That's the fun oh. part. Yes. Okay. Well, it's kind <laughs> of a. <laughs> oh, it sounds so bad. Because see, I I know it because my mom is a big fan, so ah, that's yeah, yeah. why I know it all. Usually, like horror shit, I'm like meh. So. Yeah. Okay. It's basically like this kind of a weird sadistic game show thing where like there's this mastermind guy who looks at all these bunch of strangers that are put together in a room and they have to like either try to escape him when he's not looking via the hidden cameras or whatever or do some really like masochistic shit huh, okay. to move on to the next challenge um and like I- i'm not super familiar with these sor- stories but i know that at the high level, this is it's the kind of thing that's going on in these games. Hmm. Um, so I have some specific, like you have specific version recommendations to make because it turns out one of these games has a terrible bug that makes the game unbeatable, so you don't want that one. <laughs> oh, no, really? So, yeah. So 999 was re- released on uh, DS. Uh, Virtue's Last Reward was released on 3DS and Vita. You want to avoid 3DS because that's the broken version. So okay. play it on Vita if you can. Zero Time Dilemma was released on both those. You can play whichever version. You can buy a bundle of the first two games uh, called Zero Escape the Nonary Games on Vita, which 
packages the features from the mobile releases of these games into a handheld version that you can play and those don't have any issues with it so basically like you should just play the whole thing on vita and i think you'll be happy because you're trying to use your vita more so oh interesting but yeah like if if that premise sounds interesting to you like there's a lot of time you can spend playing that game and i know that the fans of that game are quite fanatical about it and in fact like that's one of the things is they released 999 and Virtue's Last Reward, and then the company who was developing the game went out of business or something. So the last game only happened because of a Kickstarter, and it took four years for it to get made. Oh, really? It was a whole experience. Uh, so, yeah, it's... People were very happy when the last game came out. I don't remember how they reacted to it, though, but... Interesting. I'm also looking at because these days, every time I uh, look at suggestions for games, uh, and that's why I didn't throw the episode, that's why I mentioned them. Uh, the first game sounds to be not too bad time wise, uh, which is always good for me. Uh, 99 seems to be. Sorry, I, I closed the tab. Oh my goodness. Uh, so I think it was around 15 hours. Uh, and the other one is more around 30. So, uh, that's a, that is a, not that I downplay it, but like playing both games could be a big investment, but on the Vita could be nice. Yeah, but like at the very least, just play the first one and see if it looks like something you're interested in. Hmm. Okay. That's, uh, that sounds like a, a weird, uh, a weird type of game, but I could enjoy. Hmm. So now we're going to go on to the, to the obvious choice here. Which is the Danganronpa series, which ah. I know you own one and two, but you haven't really played them yet. No, I did not. Agreed. So this is a series released also by Spike Chunsoft from 2010 to 2017, uh, although in English it was originally released in 2014 here. Um, one of the things I remember about the series that was so impactful is that before it was released in English here, it was hugely popular even in North America. Uh, through websites like the Something Awful forums and Tumblr, where people were following Let's Plays of this game, and it was absolutely insane, and people wanted it to be localized so bad. Mm -hmm. It is very similar to Ace Attorney in structure, but at a faster pace. The Japanese name of this game, which is, well, which I'll explain in a second, sort of directly hints at this. Uh, so Dangan is bullet, and Rumpa is refute, which hints at the fact that it's like a like a fast-paced debate um which is interesting way to sneak that in there and i think like the the english subtitles to each of the games like trigger happy havoc is kind of like how they localize danganronpa it's just like faster paced ace attorney and it, it kind of makes sense uh given the amount of cases you make you solve in that game versus an ace attorney game which i'll get to in a second so the basic premise of this is 15 students find themselves trapped in a school together with only one road to graduation. They need to murder another student and get away with it. There are two main gameplay styles, which are very analogous to the two main gameplay styles in the Ace Attorney things. There's school life and there's class trials. Uh, in school life, you go around and you explore the school grounds and you get to know the characters, but eventually you discover a crime scene. And when you discover the crime scene, you sort of switch into an evidence gathering mode. And then at the end of that evidence gathering process, you go into a class trial where you and the other students must discuss and figure out who the murderer was. And if you and the other students figure it out, uh, the culprit is executed. Otherwise, everybody else dies. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Which is kind of a crazy premise. So, like, if there are 15 students, I imagine that means you're going to do 14 cases throughout a game, which is a lot more than the five you have in a 
usual um, Ace Attorney game. True, but if you think about it in Ace Attorney, you go to the court more than once in a chapter. It's true, yeah. So there's a couple of rounds, but it's not like 15 for sure in the end. It might be around 10. I wouldn't be surprised. It's like maybe one or like two or three. Like if you go, like you do those like uh, investigation, court, investigation, court more than twice in uh, in one chapter in Ace Attorney. I think that's like a rare occurrence. The last two chapters tend to be a little long. Yeah, true. In that respect, but yeah. Um, so that's more or less like the high-level summary of what Danganronpa is. Uh, like I mentioned, there are three games. There's Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc, Danganronpa 2 Goodbye Despair, Danganronpa V3 Killing Harmony. I didn't actually realize that the third game actually had come out. Uh, I thought it was just like still coming soon. No, it's a, it was a couple, of, a couple of years back. I see here 2017, so... Yeah, it's just like, since I don't pay super close attention to the series, it kind of fell out of my mind. And also because I sort of confused it with the third-person shooter that everybody (laughs) hates. Uh, Another episode, Ultra Despair Girls, everybody hated that game. And I heard so much about it that I think my brain made me think, oh, it's the third Danganronpa game. But no, uh, it's just the third-person shooter. Uh, Don't play that one. Um, But the other three, people seem to love them, so... And I mean, probably at some point I will have to check those game out because I have heard so much about it by now that it's kind of almost irresponsible not to. And I liked the Ace Attorney games, so it's kind of like, well, there are very good chances that you're going to like this. I think it takes the art direction in a much more Persona-y uh, direction, uh, specifically Persona 4-ish right. art direction. Uh, so I like that too. So I don't know. It, it seems like a winner to me. Um, so I should eventually check it out, but I just have so much stuff on my plate right now. Uh, agreed. And to be honest, like I, I kind of assumed it would bring up Professor Layton. I wouldn't be sure if you would, but Danganronpa, I'm not surprised at all. I think we've talked uh, a lot about it in the past, yeah. you and I, and that was always a kind of like this one. I was always on my like kind of to do list, if you can call it this way, on my to play list, uh, but never got to it. And I wouldn't be surprised that maybe. I shouldn't say that, but this year's the year. Sounds interesting. Like, yeah, sounds like it could Actually, be a good one. For so that. this is a tangent that I did not plan, but every year my friend Rudy on the select button forums makes a thread called Spring Cleaning, where we have to post our backlogs, and we have to sort of, well, we either get advice on what we should not consider playing anymore uh, from other people who have played the games and say, now you're probably not going to like this or whatever. That's interesting. Or sort of like we tell each other what we should be prioritizing. Uh, I love so, this idea. Yeah, it's really great. It's one of my favorite threads every year. Uh, the other one I really like is just the Games of the Year thread. Um, And I didn't mind this week. And I, I was like, I have so many PS1 games that I'm just going to list the PS1 games that I haven't played because those are the most exciting games I have right now. Uh, And I sort of decided like what my five games I want to beat this year are. So that could be an idea for things you could do with your backlog. I mean, yours is probably shorter than a lot of ours, but yes, but um, maybe we should end on that. I don't want to, I like what you, where you're going with this. Um, Let's go through the list, and I kind of want to explain in the end why I kind of ask you to do that for me. Because okay, right, well, right now you're kind of touching a bit on that. So let's continue. 
Well, I'm I'm done with the actual like series I wanted to recommend. Perfect. So now I want to move to my stretch recommendation, which is the weird thing, the wild card. I like the wild card name. Yeah. So I'm going to recommend a game called Steins Gate. It is a game I occasionally tweet about, mostly because I've seen the anime, and there are a lot of running gags between my friends and I about Steins Gate. Uh, Steins Gate is one of the sub-franchises in 5PB and Nitro Plus's science adventure visual novel series, and it's probably the most loved of those franchises. It's directly inspired by the works of Hiroyuki, Ka- Hiroyuki Kano, uh, like Eve Burster and Yuno, uh, which are two visual novels I've previously discussed on the podcast. Mostly Yuno, Eve Burster, I haven't really talked about on the show, um, which are highly influential sci-fi visual novels. It's a science fiction time travel story that takes place in modern day Akihabara. It's the story of this delusional mad scientist guy who has this, it's almost like a weird club, like we were the radio, uh, the student radio club at our high school uh his club is the future gadget laboratory where they just like mod shit and one day he modifies his microwave and he accidentally discovers he can send text messages to the past and of course because he's a big ass nerd he calls them d-mails or delorean mails oh my goodness <laughs> and whether or not you find that super cringy is going to determine if you can tolerate the rest of this game but it is super then what <laughs> then one of the other members ends up like tweaking the machine a bit and they f- figure out that they can actually beam somebody's memories to the past to effectively turn it into a real time machine. Huh, interesting. But eventually a fictionalized version of CERN, uh like the big the large hadron collider people, they find out about it and they're like, "Oh my god, they we can't let this happen." So they send a group of like terrible people to go retrieve the time machine in Akihabara, and then the rest of the story is them trying to stay out of trouble and causing a bunch of time travel shit this story is a crazy ass roller coaster and that's kind of why i'm recommending it It, there are a couple downsides to this game though so the first thing is it is your average japanese visual novel in that all of the endings are more or less related to which female character you end up with and that's going to be an a turnoff for some but there's nothing well, that's not true. There's mostly nothing gross about the way it turns out. Uh, and I will mention a specific case in a second. Um, but this is primarily a story where romance plays a complementary role rather than a main one, which is why I think, like, even if you're like, oh, I don't want to have to choose which of these girls I want to end up with, like, it's not the hugest deal. The one exception to this is a cross-dressing character who is treated like complete shit. Mm. and it is unacceptable um to a certain degree like it's so badly handled that even the well-meaning white person cisgendered male reaction to this thing is also problematic in its own way uh because the way uh the way gender identity manifests itself in japan is different to the way it manifests in western cultures for complicated reasons and a lot of the western white guy reactions to how things are played out in the story are nullifying the differences in cultural context that make certain gender identities 
different in Japan. It's a very complex thing to explain, and I don't want to derail the entire podcast to talk about how Otokonoko is untranslatable. But yeah, but uh, I think what you're trying to paint here is that there's a lot of washing of it, part of the translation. It's incredibly hard. I don't know. I don't know how, as a translator, you deal with this to begin with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because there isn't a good way to go about it. And the thing is, like, even if you translate it as is, the portrayal in itself and the behavior of the characters in the game to towards this character, like, the character is absolutely lovable, and you love them, and you want to protect them, and that's why it pisses you off that the characters are being fully shit to to it. And it's not clear if the writers are also thinking the same thing. Uh, which is part of the problem. Mm, um, I see. But like, if you just forget that entire branch of the story, the rest of it is incredibly interesting and weird and, like I said, a roller coaster. And I think it's, I when I originally watched the anime, like I don't usually watch this kind of anime, but when I watched it, it immediately became one of my favorite series. Uh, and I think it struck a chord with a lot of nerds similar to me uh, in my age group. And now a bunch of them cosplay the characters from the show. And a lot of them buy Dr. Pepper because of the show. I already bought Dr. Pepper before. It was cool in Steins Gate, though. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. either. Steins Gate and Steins Gate Zero, which is the sequel slash prequel, are both available on Vita in North America. Uh, unfortunately, like many visual novels, these are going to be like a 30-hour minimum trip right which is a hard sell there is a different version released on switch called steins gate elite which incorporates footage from the anime adaptation Uh, and it doesn't rely entirely on visual novel storytelling i believe it also comes with like a similar retelling of steins gate zero uh so that may be a thing i don't know how comparatively long it is um if you find visual novels cumbersome for 30 hours, then maybe Steins Gate Elite storytelling can be a better retelling for you. Not really. According to All Long Too Big, which I love, it's like main story is about for Steins Gate is 25 and a half hours and Steins Gate's Elite 24 hours. And same thing yeah. with the like main plus extra and completionist. They are more or less in the same time range, plus and minus a couple of hours. Okay, well, too bad. But... um. Like that, and the, the the thing that's hard to tell about how long to beat is specifically for visual novels is even just for main story, it's not clear if people consider the main story to be all endings, right? Because you want to experience the whole story, or if it's just how fast is it to get to the easiest ending, which like none of these sites really tell you these things, whether it be how long to beat, whether it be VNDB yeah, or yeah. any of the other ones. No, for sure. Like, uh, you mean you use them if, like, if I know in the next month or so I do have a lot of time or it's like I'm starting again in November and I know, like, winter is coming. Um, I mean, the alternative is you can go watch the anime. It's 12 episodes of 24 minutes, I think. Oh, uh, and it's going to be shorter. <laughs> and it is more or less the same story from what I got. Yeah. Okay. Though you, you obviously don't get all the endings, but... Like. Right, right. Huh, that is strangely interesting. Which I guess now brings us to the point of more or less what I was trying to skip a, more or less 10 minutes ago, is why did I ask you to do so? And the simple, sto- the simple story throughout for this is a bit of me like... So, again, the... Um, the cause of this episode is, like I mentioned, I asked him, I was 
because of the current situation, I was cleaning up shit in the apartment, found out uh, where my DS and PS Vita were, um, and more or less cleaned it up, realized that I had some of the games I wanted to play and never and do have time, and here's where we are at. But at the same time, uh, to go back to Yenix, uh just fun story about the... Uh, you said it's a select button podcast? Uh, podcast in a forum that uh, they were doing the kind of spring cleaning yeah. of video games. It was a bit to have something different uh, at the end of the year when we would do our game of the year. Um, so I do have a couple of games this year I want to play and a lot of them are just new releases. We talked about Final Fantasy VII Remake um, and also the next one on my list is main, will be The Last of Us Part Two, Um And I wouldn't be surprised that that's like if I were to play one or the other or both this year uh, they will be like quite time consuming and I wanted to have a different experience and reminding myself when I was like figuring out where all my like DS cartridges were 3DS then DS cartridges were and my PS Vita parts and uh, trying to find a cheap memory stick so I can download the, for, exa- for example Danganronpa 1 and 2 that I already bought years ago was reminding me why I love uh, those NL consoles because more or less a lot of the games uh, are really like they they know that you'll open your DS you'll play 15, 20, 30 minutes a bit like phone games and then you need to close it off and be able to remind yourself when you open it back where you were stuck at um, and a lot of those visual novels sometimes if you need to spend a lot of times like personal four you forget where you're stuck at uh, but the storyline makes you like with the book want to continue playing and making sure that maybe you have 15 minutes to this day you'll play your you'll make sure that you'll play your 15 minutes and find a spot to play but at least you'll play a bit go on with your life and then come back the next day and continue throughout that story and one of the things I've come to value a lot more in the last maybe five years or so is games with either explicit chapter structures or sort of like an episodic nature. Um, games that have clean like cutoff points where like you get a save dialogue and you can save here and then you can close your device and go do literally anything else and then come back and have a reasonable expectation that with zero context five years later, you can pick up that save and resume playing and not have to worry about anything. Like that is something I value a lot more, especially as the pile of games that I haven't finished playing grows. Um, because it's just a lot simpler to return to them. Whereas like, like you're mentioning with, uh, like I think you had this with Persona 4 and maybe 3. I've certainly have it had it with 3 and I mean, at this point, possibly my playthrough of five is you stop like 30 hours, 50 hours in. You have no context for anything that was going on anymore, except for it is this date on the calendar. And you're like, fuck, what was I doing? What were the gauges I was trying to max out to get a certain ending or something? And you just like lose track of everything to the point that you think like, I'm going to have to restart this 80 hour game or this 120 hour game. And you're going to be like, fuck it. I'm just going to go play something else. If I'm going to have to restart that because the game was fun, but not 120 hours and a half fun. Um, So I don't know. It's like, it's something I valued a lot more like um, 
when I played Sakura Tyson one and two a couple of years ago, that was a big thing. Is it's a strategy RPG where they have, and this is so clever, and I wish more games would do it. They have on the previous episode clips at the start of the Ooh. chapter, and on the next episode clips at the end of the chapter that show uh, not spoilers, but show previews of the cutscenes from before and after. And I mean, like, that's genius because it means I can literally put it on a shelf and come back three years later and pick it up and I know what I'm doing. Uh, And, uh, like, that game in particular, there's no real, like, global progression system that you have to worry about. It's kind of like, well, if you're at this chapter, you have more or less this level of stats, plus or minus, so little variables here and there. So there's really nothing to worry about. Whereas something like... Final Fantasy VII, for example, like I'm trying to be um, more regimented in my playthrough so that I don't forget, like if I save on the world map, like I don't want to forget in what direction I'm supposed to be walking because then it'll take me like three hours to figure out where the fuck I'm supposed to go. Yes, which is more or less what happened when I last played and I saved somewhere. I'm like, oh, fuck, I need to do this. What should I do now? And I mean, that that's the beauty of a site like Backloggery is generally in the... Uh, in the playthrough notes section, I'll leave a thing that says like leaving Costa del Sol. So I can be like, this is where I was. Don't immediately go back into the city because <laughs> you're leaving there. Yeah. Fair point. Um, no, for sure. Uh, maybe two notes because you kind of mentioned that I played both personal three and four again, a while back that I did that, uh, more like personal two could be like when I played on the PS Vita. So it would be literally like even 10 years ago, something like that. But I didn't like the mechanism of like the what I what I recall I didn't like with Persona Four is the repetitiveness of just going into the fucking tower. That was like at some point it was just like so repetitive that it became like boringly difficult to continue play play the game. It's like ah like I'm at level fifty. I'm not I'm not sure if I was that high in a tower. And I ask you like how many fucking floors is there on this uh on this tower i think it was 150 something or and it was like, something to that effect yeah and maybe I was, I was like as low as like 30 and i spent like maybe 20 hours in the game i was like really i need to continue doing that like twice thrice the time even four times this like, no, no no i'm not going to do that let's no and like p3 is bad because like p1 and p2 effectively were like that they were just like climb to the end of this endless dungeon because that's literally what the Shin Megami Tensei series was up to that point point. Mm-hmm. and then uh, Persona 3 changed a lot of things about the presentation of the story and the art style and all of that stuff but fundamentally like they I don't know if they didn't have the budget or the confidence to actually make distinct dungeons so they just like threw everything in the tower like the previous games and Persona 4 was when like because of the success of 3 they were like okay each cha- each major story beat gets its own distinct dungeon. And then Persona 5 is like, instead of having like just different skins for these dungeons that are effectively the same thing as the Persona 3 tower, but in separate rooms, now we're just going to give each room a distinct mechanic and make it more like a Zelda dungeon Ooh. than that. And that's why... That's why originally I really liked P5 and then sort of the story beats pissed me off more than anything else. Um, But that's a different story. But like on a gameplay level, I find that like P5 does a lot more to vary what it is you're doing within dungeons than any previous game. It's just like, is the story going to piss you off in the process? (laughs) Right. And 
the main reason why like to go back to so I wanted more content to discuss of course like having more content to discuss on the game of the year podcast is always fun uh, but again I wanted to go outside of my comfort zone and some of them or maybe not comfort zone is different because like you could be right that Stainsgate might be that um, but again I wanted to play some games that I would enjoy but that were maybe less well known on those consoles and I think you've mentioned a lot of great examples where uh, I wouldn't be surprised looking at some screenshots of those games that I would spend maybe 10 12 hours in a game and be like wow and and my playthrough of it and be like you know what like I've played this game maybe like 10 years after its release and it was like a like low run on copies and that was great i wish i knew played this game before so yeah. i do hope that i'll be able to find some of them i wouldn't be surprised that some of the big big names that would be that uh danganronpa i think it would, i wouldn't be surprised professor layton would be that but some of the one you mentioned i think time hollow i look at it quickly and looks like i was like huh that's that could be a good find that uh, i'll be interested and i want to say too much because i don't want to commit too much uh yeah. but I don't want to spend all your money at once. Yes, could be that too. But I would be quite happy if in the end I would play at least one or two games that are not part of the big names from yeah. the one that you mentioned uh, in the next year or so. So I'd say if if I would make some commitment is at least to play one, I would say, let's say, play two games that is not Professor Layton or uh, in Danganronpa. Even if I play those, like that will be nice, but I want to go revisit... Rev- I want to visit some of those other games that you mentioned. That's sweet. Any final thoughts on this? I should probably think... Uh, no, this is a mental note to myself so that when I edit the podcast, I actually put links to our backlog pages in the show notes because last time I did not do that. Oh, that's true. That's right. I also forgot that we should include that uh, from the past episode. And if you are a listener and you play video games, go sign up for Backloggery and follow us. That's true. Okay, thank you, Yannick, through, to bring me through this journey of learning about new video games that I should enjoy. And I also hope that our listeners, if they are a bit like me with video games, they should enjoy it if they have either a 3DS, a PS Vita, or for even some of the bigger names, they have like modern consoles because a lot of them got re-released. And even in the end, also, if you just have an iOS device, which, as you've heard here multiple times, maybe not the best way to replay those games, just for the sake of your investment. So it might be, if you don't mind, if you don't mind those games, like to spend maybe fifteen, twenty dollars, and just assume that you play it and you throw it away, because who knows what would be the state of the game in two days from after you're done playing it. it uh, that's that. But a lot of those games could be played on modern consoles, and I wouldn't be surprised that some of them I'll maybe try to play them on Switch too. I think Danganronpa is on the Mac App Store, which is like some crazy shit. Really? <laughs> Let's go see. I vaguely remember this. You, I don't know if it's on the Mac App Store, but it is part of the list of plat- supported platforms on Wikipedia. Yeah, it, it's on the Mac. At some point, I believe it was on the Mac App Store. Right now, it is not. But yeah, so uh, I I vaguely remember seeing the icon in the Mac App Store one time and going like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, it is on Steam since 2015, according to Wikipedia. Yeah. So, see, uh, a lot of them you have a lot of uh, options, and I think 
that's why it's nice. And again, some of the smaller names also got to be released on iOS, which is a, a nice way to, if they still work. So please look at that. Okay. So hopefully Yannick will have properly documented all the, all of the game names and hopefully pages. I'll try to make sure that if uh, he's missing something to help him uh, go through Wikipedia and all that fun stuff. So you can also go look at them while we uh, when we go through the list and you will be able to find such lists at limitlesspossibility.net slash 135 so 135 if you want to go through our back catalog of episode you can go on limitlesspossibility.net if you want to follow the podcast on twitter and get its latest news you can find it at limipo underscore podcast that's l-i-m-i-p-o underscore podcast you can find myself on twitter and if you want to send me suggestion about other games that you feel that should fit that or maybe suggestion of which game i should choose from the yannick's list you can find myself on twitter at lukonosh that's l-u-c-c-o-n-o-u-c-h-e and you can find yannick on twitter at sakarina that's s-a-k-u-r-i-n-a and i would say maybe it's just to make sure you don't, don't, don't forget, you can find myself on Backlogery at Luco, L-U-C-C-O, and you can find Yannick at, at Sakarina, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah. So, uh, I guess for Yannick, he's more consistent than I am for username on the internet. So, on that note, see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. <laughs>